Hey guys, what's happening? Welcome to another Wednesday afternoon. This is Action Movie Anatomy, and we are breaking down the third film in the Tony Scott Denzel Washington partnership, a film called Deja Vu from 2006. We have now done four of the five Tony Scott Denzel collaborations. We will eventually get to Unstoppable, but today we're going to be breaking down everything that's awesome about Deja Vu. Hang out with us. We'll see you in just one second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's action movie anatomy. Boom! What's up, everybody? That vibe's The studio's gonna blow up. (laughs) There's a bomb. There's there's a bomb in this studio. The Bay City Rollers. The Bay City Rollers. Claudia Schiffer. Claudia Schiffer. It's a a reference to love, actually. If you guys don't know, you should know. And then I just pulled a Liam Neeson crying moment. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, guys, what's up? This is Action Movie Anatomy. If you're listening on audio, that was a weird moment. You have no idea what's going on. I hope you're uncomfortable in your car, (laughs) wherever you are. I hope you're uncomfortable in your car. Um, This is Action Movie Anatomy on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies and all things movie-related. This is Action Movie Anatomy. We talk action movies on this show. I'm your host, Ben Bateman, joined today by Mr. Andrew Guy, the co-creator, co-host, co-producer of the show. What's up, man? What's going on? (laughs) I don't know why. This this is very funny to me today. It's a good one. It's a good start. Your style's evolving. It, right? It, it is. You're just, so this is the this is the same look as last week, but now you've got a loosened tie. It's loose. It's is this the same as last week? No, last week I wore a, a like a pink shirt or something, or purple. I believe purple. you wore it's purple. Well, same style anyway. Look, man. <laughs> but now you've got the loosened tie look. It's not bad, right? That's good luck. I really appreciate you noticing. You're evolving. I know nothing about movies, but I'm here to talk about fashion. Yep, you're the sit-in. <laughs> the sit-in. This guy is filling in for Ravi, our normal, our normal host. My real oh. name. Mm. Uh, this was the uh, the first time I'd seen this movie all the way through since I saw it in theaters in 2006. Oh, really? Yeah. I had a moment uh, last year, uh, probably around the time we were doing, I guess it would probably be Man on Fire. Um, it could have been around the time I was obsessing over Pelham and mm. insisting we do it on the show. I really missed that phase. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember I watched all of the Tony Scott Denzel movies in like a week. I bought all of them on Amazon in one week. Just, oh, yeah. I remember you telling me this. Just each night I just was like... They're, and they're, this is kind of why I'm so excited to be doing Deja Vu on the show today. Because it's not that these movies are great movies and it's not that they're classics. It's that they have they have this like new car quality to them we talk about with Cruz's best work uh-huh. where like there's something about the movie when you think about watching it as a whole that's just very it's very exciting it's very satisfying there's just, it's because you know what you're gonna get it's, when you know when you know yeah. there's a Tony Scott Denzel movie you know you're gonna get Denzel being a complete badass yeah he's just gonna be great you're gonna get Tony Scott's like stylized shooting like the zooming in zooming out the colors yeah. which is funny because he uses it all mostly in through when he's like watching the video yeah like it's all through like the uh the graphics of the animation of that is where you get a lot of his like color filters yeah but um yeah man it's because it's it's like all right cool we're gonna go on another tony scott denzel ride it's just ultimately satisfying so uh before we get fully into all of this guys i should remind everybody that uh we break down action movies on the show. The action movies mm-hmm. we talk about on the show adhere to four basic categories. So aside from being made after 1981, which is not even like an official rule, like we guarantee we'll break that rule someday. One day. Um, the movies start with four things. Number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. Now, I, if I had to argue that there is a, another actor, another action movie star 
that more consistently plays by his own rules. <laughs> there is no one other than Denzel that plays by his own rules as much. No. Maybe Cruz, maybe, but like, especially... It's in such a different way. It's in the most fucking just awesomely satisfying yeah. action movie way. You're like, that's what I would do. Yeah. That's what I would do if I was a badass. There's a reason that every single athlete in the world, when you when they get asked in, in the interview, yep. in the movie of your life, who would play you? Oh, Denzel. He's a stone-cold killer. Every time. He is. He's like 65. And he, like and guys that are like 27 are like, Denzel would play me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love <laughs> I love in the scene when he's getting patched up after he gets, he gets yeah. shot. They only show like from right below his pecs up. Yeah, you can see the top of his belly, like because like, yeah. he has that like that big. It's not like a belly belly. No, it's like a muscular big belly. He's just like a big dude. Yeah, but in like in his shirts, yeah. they're huge. But it's just so funny because he's he's kind of out of shape. And the best part about that though is that that almost plays into his everyman quality. Yeah, it totally does. Because you know, because we've seen. I mean, he was a young man in Crimson Tide, but like Crimson Tide was like ten years before this. Yeah, like legitimately only eleven years before this, he could easily get. Oh shred it if he wanted to but he, he no doesn't need to it's not his brand he's not a he wouldn't be an authentic atf agent who just like walks around in cargo pants right. and like baggy shirts tommy bahamas yeah he's <laughs> the man um i like well, that, that just, then he came his style in the mid-2000s yeah it was just like i'm just gonna wear sunglasses and gigantic shirts <laughs> out of time it's like the same look yeah. this, is, this is like i love the first moment when denzel gets out of the car me too the very first time you see him slow-mo the glasses him getting and standing up and his shirt yeah yeah it's he just yeah there's something I, incredible i feel like it. when he gets out of the car and like the slow-mo and the lighting and all that and how badass he looks yeah. is how tony scott sees denzel washington totally so that was rule number one is the hero always plays by their own rules and we just tangented the shit out of that because we sure did. <laughs> he does play by his own rules uh, rule number two the hero and the villain are always the smartest people in the room so uh, again I would say I would go on the same tangent and say as far as being the smartest guy in the room there may have never been in the history of the world a better smartest guy in the room the only other person that I think competes is George Clooney exactly yeah they're the two so um, in history, I like there that are, we can do that together. Yeah, <laughs> there are guys that are like really good. There in are, but it, those are the two. Those are the two guys that if they walk in a fucking room in a movie and they're a person that is even show they have some knowledge about anything. Yeah, they're gonna make you feel dumb. Yeah, they're the best. Yeah, that's why they're the, the ultimate quintessential movie stars. Mm-hmm. Um, rule number three: the movie is driven by a police, military, or political figure. Totally fits. And yep. rule number four: the movie contains a minimum of one explosion. Uh, there's a bunch, but there's one gigantic explosion. Is there? Uh, yeah, <laughs> very, very good, Drew. Very good. Um, so that's the rules of the of the game here. This this fits squarely. This I, mean, is... I, I guess Jim Caviezel. Yeah, he is the other smartest guy in the room. Yeah, because he's tactically brilliant. And... He does the whole thing by himself. And if it wasn't for Denzel, yeah, he would have gotten away. If it wasn't for time travel, <laughs> wormholes. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Like, why don't they just say that it's a wormhole? Just leave it the fuck alone. Let's go. Haven't you ever seen the Terminator? Don't you know what's happening? Like, like, just <laughs> anything. Just leave us alone. Let's not waste thirty minutes of the movie talking about it, trying to explain something that you cannot explain. Well, this is like the whole thing that happens in, in the Walking Dead, where it's like the word "zombie" doesn't exist in the Walking Dead universe, right. and everybody knows this. So, like, they can't say like, "Oh, these are zombies." Like those comic books and movies <laughs> and TV shows in every part of our culture that has talked about this thing forever for decades. In that world, that doesn't exist. So it's like in this world. I guess the Terminator didn't ever come out. I, I guess, guess there's no such thing as like any like. Come on, how many conversations in your life? Look at TV shows or anybody? Yeah, how many you conversations know? you had in your life about like 
yeah, time travel works like this. It's like a straight line. Yeah, and there's time, like a, there's a bend. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so vibe. We all have, because we all talk about the same dumb stuff. Yeah, like, and it's and we all know jack shit about it is yeah, really the bottom line. we all line. have our theories. We're like, uh, I believe uh, I'm kind of an expert on the subject. I <laughs> like the time travel. I've seen a lot of movies. <laughs> I've seen several films. Um, so anyway, that is the rules of the game. Guys, those are the rules. We are as well as being here in front of you, talking to you, or talking to this mic so you're hearing us. Um, we're on Twitter. We mm-hmm. have a, a Twitter for the podcast. It it, it gets followers now. It, it, we, Slowly. So, so do I. Yeah. Getting there. <laughs> the podcast has, it, it gets new followers. It's we, not I a, love it. I love seeing, uh, there's a, there's a great amount of interaction every week. Yeah, absolutely. We get we get people talking to us, and the more the more people uh, the more people that join, the more interaction. I'm trying to get better. Like I posted the trailer for Jack. <sighs> You're Reacher so much 2. better than I am. I really appreciate it. Jack Reacher two. I posted the trailer this morning. On. I was trying to link. Oh, I linked the James Bond. No, Helen Mirren. On Helen Fast Mirren Five. thing. Yeah, I, I linked saw that. that. Yep. I did that. Guys. Nice. I, nice. I'm finding. <laughs> I'm figuring it out. <laughs> uh, so that's at AMA Podcast. If you guys want to follow us, uh, go share your thoughts. We we love to talk about these things and these action movies and. We're going to probably just do this show for a long time. So just if there's like things forever, you want to add really. and, and things you want to let us know you would like us to do or not do, you know, share those with us. Personally, I'm at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find me at Andrew Guy on Twitter. And uh, and you guys have been great about leaving us comments on iTunes, giving us ratings and reviews. It helps us stay high in the standing so we can continue to provide free content. So uh, help us out with that. And lastly, leave your thoughts and comments in the, the YouTube comments below. Um, Let's cue the trailer. This is the so I I saw this movie in theaters and so did you. Yeah. And there was a, there's one trailer that's like the main trailer that I found when I was looking up, but I was like this doesn't feel as satisfying as the trailer I remember watching. Yeah, I think you did a great job with this one. This is a uh, this is exactly what made me want to go see it in theaters. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was something about it. It was like eighteen. We were eighteen, right? Yeah. Seventeen, eighteen, two thousand six. Yeah. 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 18. yeah. Cue the trailer, please. <laughs> Gotta say the place. What's up, Donica? It's important. Uh, obviously. <laughs> it's a familiar feeling when you meet a stranger. It's that fleeting sensation when you enter a room. This is kind of corny. Is it the same voice for it's doing both with just like a modulator on it? When you recognize an object. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, right. It's deja vu. Have we met? Yeah. She's so beautiful. Yeah. She is absolutely <laughs> stunning. I remember that. I still love her. All in your head. She's great in Mission Impossible. She is, yeah. For the truth. What if you had to tell someone the most important thing in the world, but you knew they'd never believe you? I just like watching you talk. I try. Yeah, so I remember the music and the, and the cutting and this editing. I remember seeing this in theaters. That guy... Because it gets kind of creepy. It does. Like, it's a little creepy. Within the feeling, it looks like really. It, it looks really intriguing. And it's a compelling the memory, movie. There are warnings. Brace yourselves. I think you're about to witness a murder. It's a shocking to me that the reviews in this movie are this so bad. I, they're real bad. Yeah. Yeah. Deja vu will lead to a journey. In 12 hours, he's going to kill her. And actually, Jim Caviezel does. I think he does well. He's great. Experienced yeah. before. He killed her. Very matter of fact. Ago. Yeah. Sav her. Yes, one theory. Yeah, it's a sweet trailer. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's. I. I. I feel just like I. This is just one of those movies that I am gonna always put back on when I'm like bored. And I want to watch a movie. I don't think that there's a, a single uh, Denzel Tony Scott movie that I don't feel that way about though. There's definitely not. I've seen all five of them a bunch of times. 
Yeah, I agree because you know what? Honestly, I don't know if I told you or not, but I did watch Taking a Pelham like a, a couple, like a week or two ago. It was just on TV it, in the background. It's kind of sweet. It is, of course, it's sweet. Yeah. It is very <laughs> sweet. Um, yeah, that, that they're all so entertaining and yeah. engaging, and you can turn it on and not pay attention and come right back in, and you're right back in the, the yep. heat of the moment. Absolutely. Um, all right, guys. So let's get into the next part of our show, which is something we like to call action movie tagline. This is that uh, that thing where you you know you see like a little bite sized moment from the back of a box, or you you know this is like we would, we would read movie boxes, uh, uh, VHS tape boxes in video stores when we were kids, and uh, there'd be you know a little tagline. So we started writing our own. Uh, there's some creative freedom as far as how to do this. Sometimes they're very lengthy and stupid. Sometimes they're a little more serious. When we have guests on, they usually take this very seriously. Like Roca came in and just like crushed it. They usually do. Yeah, he had like three like actual single sentence. Yeah, Roca crushed it. Rock's always Roxy always Roxy Stryer always yeah. comes on with her thesis statements and destroys us. Yeah, our guests <laughs> tend to do a better job. Just than better us. at the show than we are. That's why we bring them on. <laughs> but uh, we're gonna share our taglines. Um, I think we. I'll bet you we have the same idea. I'll bet you we have the same idea. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. All right. Okay. Is there a better actor in history to say okay and all right? No. No. All right, then. <laughs> All right, then. Okay. No. Okay. Like, he just says it in every movie. There's something about the way he yeah. says it. He's, it's like he says a paragraph yeah. when he says it. It's the thing. Um, I'm going to go first. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> what if you had to tell someone the most important thing in the world, but you knew they'd never believe you? Would you try? Forget everything you know. What if you had to tell someone the most important thing in the world? But you know they'd never believe you. Would you try? Forget everything you know. I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. I have a feeling you're doing the exact same thing. Uh, it's <laughs> it's pretty close. It is it is pretty close. Hundred percent. You did it to me just now. <laughs> Ever wanted to take LSD, but you were too scared? Well, your number is up. Ever wanted to take LSD, but you were too scared? Well, your number is up. Throw on those thinking, time-traveling caps and try to solve the mystery that is deja vu. We just lost all of our we viewers. Did. We lost everyone. <laughs> I can hear, like, I could uh, picture us in an auditorium reading those right now and it being silent. 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 It's our stand-up routine. Yeah, guys, I just cut the feed. We should probably stop. <laughs> oh, God, not again. All right. Donica, did you see the gimmick coming before we even started? Yeah, it's pretty clear. Yeah. Pretty yeah. forward. Cool. Pretty straightforward. Excellent. Yeah. You know what? Well, well, we're the creative minds here. Uh, let's get into thesis statement. This is something we've been doing since the very beginning of the show. Thesis statement is the, is the big, bold thought you have. It, it's usually rooted in hyperbole. The greatest this, the best this, the only this. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a specific plot detail or something about this movie. It has to be inspired by this movie. A big thought this movie triggers for you. So um, I've kind of been alluding to mine. I've kind of been alluding to mine the most, uh, or, or over and over again. It's hard um, to... Is it what I think you're going to say? Well, what, what it is is basically this. So my first thought was, in our generation, two actors have the role of the smartest guy in the room. Yes. George Clooney and Denzel Washington. I believe there has never been a better director to understand what he has in achieving that than Tony Scott using Denzel Washington. So... Hmm. Because he's more consistent, like, like I watched an interview with, with Tony Scott this morning on DP30. It was around the time Pelham came out, uh, which is a year before he died, I believe. And he's talking about working with Denzel. It was the fifth, at that point, I think it was, oh no, it was, it was Unstoppable had just come out. But he's okay. referencing Pelham. 
And he's saying to the guy, you know, it's the fifth time I've worked with Denzel. And he's just like, every time I make a movie, I think I'm going to go away from Denzel this time and I end up coming back to him. And he's like, and it's because he has this remarkable ability to to like channel and fixate on one different part of his personality for each role. So it's like these are those things that we see that we love so much. It's like they really are within Denzel. They're kind of who he is as a guy in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, and Tony Scott can really he was like, I, I bring something out of him different for each one of these roles. So it feels like you're watching the same thing. But I just think that as that as that writer, I did, we didn't put it in here this time, but there's that writer that has that great quote about yeah. um, what Denzel, Denzel his muse. means to Tony Scott and sort of how they reflect each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the reason that those two guys, I, I would have to think a little further about Clooney as to why he is, but Denzel Washington and George Clooney are the two most definitive movie stars of the 2000s to me, at least as far as the smartest guy in the room quality goes. Right. And Tony Scott's the reason Denzel's that way. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. And this is a mediocre to good movie, but it doesn't matter. It still showcases. It's still incredibly enjoyable because... And, and, and that's such a great point that you make because the things that you love about him and Man on Fire is that he is so soft and sweet with the girl. Yeah. But he's also a struggling alcoholic, and he's so ruthless when he sees all the people. Like, when he's... Inter- interrogating i guess but mainly just killing people the noble savage the noble savage but then in taking what you love about him is his 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 weakness yeah. his vulnerability yeah you know and the fact that he wants to hide and, and lie like everyone does when we're caught in situations that we you know caught red-handed yeah you know and, and it, that's that's really cool i really like that. that that gives me a total new outlook on denzel in these movies yeah right i mean if you think about him in crimson tide he's, he's just He's a so total to Boy Scout. Yeah. He's a total by-the-numbers. Type like, A Boy Scout. Yeah. Yeah, right. And I, it's, I guess you think about him in um, you think about him in this film, and he's like a – he's sort of like a, a, a skeptic. He's like a by-the-numbers skeptic. He's like right. a good guy uh, that he's seen all this horrible shit, and it's like something about Paula Patton and like her beauty and just it, this idea. It's it brings kind of, like life to him. Yeah, right. It's like like he, some – sorry. I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I get so excited because those moments when he's looking at her on screen – Yeah. It's just him looking, and you know there's actually nothing there, and that's yeah. what you know he's such a great actor is because like the light in his eyes when yeah. he's looking at her, it's you watch it, you're like God, he really loves that chick. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the best parts of the whole movie, I think. Um, sorry, what do you got? Um, mine's kind of negative, but it's it's not that I don't like the movie. It's just that I think that this movie's greatest misstep is that they didn't do the Looper effect. And the Looper effect is, is, is as um, Ryan Johnson says, yeah. is you can't explain something. Don't waste time. Even in the movie, they say, we're not going to waste time trying to explain time travel. You're not going to understand it anyway. Yeah. And, and, and they're sitting there trying to explain it to Denzel. He's like, I don't understand this. Use words that I want to understand. Yeah, right. Like, just, no. You're not going to understand. It's time travel. Right. You know, just leave it alone. Take 30 minutes out of the movie. And this movie would have been so much better without them trying to explain all that shit. And you still could have had the intense moment of them sending the note. Because that is an action scene in itself. Them sending the note to the desk, uh, turning into the chase scene to the execution is is an action scene. But I I think that they should have really just cut cut it out. And, and as we'll, we'll get to the writers, we talk about how they think they had a solid script and Tony yeah. Scott focused on the wrong things. And I can totally believe that because these guys have a great track record. I mean, another great detail is you talk about them spending so much time trying to explain shit that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. The scenes with the talking technicians take up to 40 minutes of this film. Jesus. 40 minutes. That's incre- and you could get 10 minutes of that and yeah. you'd get it. 
be quick. Yeah. So uh, in any case, those are our thesis statements. If you guys have a bold statement about this, about Denzel, about what makes him who he is or why this movie is the way it is, um, something this triggers for you. Uh, you know, share it with us at AMA Podcast or leave it in the comments below. Um, I, I usually, if I miss a comment, you'll find I'll go back or one of us will go back mm-hmm. a couple weeks later and kind of hit all the ones we missed and respond to them because uh, you know we do get busy, but we we like to interact. So so please uh, get on board with us there. So let's continue moving on to the next part of the show, which is fist bump moment. Boom. Um, in a Denzel movie, this is the best part of the whole show. <laughs> Uh, fist bump moments that it's that moment when you're watching the show uh, you're watching the movie and something happens and you kind of have just this like yes that's fucking awesome are you watching this right now you, you want to call your buddy and be like you, you turn on the movie put it at this part this is just this is what we love about movies this is so good <laughs> and uh i keep saying it like i keep saying this over and over again the denzel tony scott movies for me it's they, just a whole fist pump they just it's like they're the best of so many things for me and like they have there's a quality to Tony Scott's direction of Denzel Washington that is as satisfying to me as anything in an action movie I can think of. And it's usually not the action. It's usually yeah. some scene, some heavy-handed taking itself really seriously, <laughs> yeah. like really trying to go for the heartstrings kind of moment that just gets me. And I just love it. Of course. I mean, he has one of the greatest actors alive right now. Yeah. Working for him with, with top three charisma. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, like, for him to be like, ah, we're going to throw in this sappy emotional scene in this dumb action movie, it's going to be great, and it's going to ground everything into reality because Denzel is so good. Well, so another thing Tony says in a different interview I was watching with him this morning is he says that uh, his thing with this movie was he didn't want to go full science fiction. He wanted science Mm -hmm. fact. So he wanted to make a movie that felt it was a science fiction movie rooted as close to reality as possible. I think which is probably why they try to explain everything. He mm. really wanted the stakes in this movie and everything about it to feel grounded in the real world. Like, which is obviously incredibly difficult when you're talking about four hours and six, yeah. four days and six hours. Uh, Window into the past. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make any sense, but. Um, That's, it's just, and, and I know you didn't direct or write <laughs> this movie, but it's just like, why, man? Like, we're already on board. We're already on board. You're going to shine a laser on the screen. Oh, my God. She saw it. Okay. Doesn't matter. I'm on board. Yeah, right. She reacted well. You reacted well. I'm into it. Yeah. You know, like, I, you don't need to explain it to me. Yeah. So, um, if we're going to get into these guys. Oh, no. The fist pump moments. Fist pump moments. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you, uh, do you want to go first? I want me to go first. Bunch. I, you know what? I think my fist pump moment two. is. Yeah. Here's what I think my fist pump moment is. It's the cops are standing around in the station. God damn it. Really? Right after. It's the first scene that Denzel talks. Right? Uh, with the coffee pot. Yes. Yeah. Because he has, like, I mean, it's not the first time he talks, but he has like a few lines with Kilmer out on the bridge. Uh, no, it's after that. No, it's right after that yeah. when he goes to the cops at the thing. Yeah. And he gives like a, a minute long monologue. Well, it, yeah. So so the monologue's not my part, though. My my part's the right after that. Mm-hmm. It's where he says to the guys, all right, first up, where's the coffee pot? And the guy's like, what? And he's like, it's a criminal investigation. We gotta have a coffee pot, right? And the guy is, oh, it's who's in charge? I'm in charge. Oh, he's in charge. He's in charge. Coffee pot's back. Coffee pot's back. Top. He's in charge. He is in charge. Yeah. yeah. And I just was like, this is fucking Denzel Washington. That's this, like, that's so funny because that's my favorite line. Yeah. That is when he said he's in, this, he's in charge. It's just something about like you know he kind of improved his way through it. Mm-hmm. You know that he's throwing around. He's throwing around a little bit like those lines. I'm sure they're not that way in the script. I'm right. sure they're, and it's just this like there's something like slightly condescending yeah but it's like it's just what makes him the fucking best smartest guy in the room ever like well it's because you if that happened to you he'd walk away and be like did he just yeah 
what just happened? He's, you know, he's the guy everyone wishes they could be. But if yeah. you ever try to be that guy in a situation, you're such a you walk bag. away from it being like, I am such a tool. <laughs> Because I know we've both tried to be that guy before. <laughs> I have. Yeah. <laughs> and you walk away and you're like, I am cool. such a douchebag. So that's what I talk like now. That's fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny that we had the same moment. Because I, I think about the, all the various moments in this movie and, like, there's a lot of moments I like, but it's really just his energy. There's also, there's also like, a total... Uh, it's not a fist pump moment because it's it's so silly, but, like, when he first meets Kilmer on the bridge. Oh, yeah. And Kilmer, and he's like, you mind giving me a spot? And he's like... From this, you know, from this angle with the blast radius and the blah blah, this is oh, this is the only way it could be this. And Kilmer's like fills in the sentence, and he's like, "Hmm, this guy's smart. This guy is just <laughs> as smart as I am." Yeah, it's funny because my fist moment is right before that. The other one, it's when Kilmer gets out of the car. Yeah, and he like waddles out, and it's like everyone knows. It's like holy shit, dude. Even like the other cops are like, "Damn, dude, he got fat," you know. And he's yeah. like, he like he like waddles out and owns it. And I fucking I laughed my ass off. It was so great. I mean, Kilmer had disappeared for a second. Well, it's weird because he's in all these movies. When I was doing, when we were doing the, yeah. um, you know, the recent history, he's in all these movies in 2006. They must have filmed earlier, or he must have just like gained weight rapidly because yeah. he was still kind of, you know, he was on his way to being chubby and kiss kiss bang bang, but he wasn't yet. Yeah. Well, even in this movie, he's he's fat Kilmer, but he's not fat Kilmer. Right. He got fat Kilmer. Well, this, yeah, I mean, this is like on his way up, bloated Kilmer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But it was shocking. Yeah. I remember definitely. In theaters. Me too. Me too. And it's a it's a weird thing because I mean. We're gonna we're gonna do a bit here in a little bit talking about that, but just like I think that there's people get older. That's a thing that happens. Yeah, absolutely. it's not fair for us to say. Like I was thinking about Paula Patton. It's like Paula Patton is absolutely drop dead stunning in this movie. Absolutely, one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen on screen in a film. Like mm-hmm. unreal. And the same in MI4. I was going to say, she's to me, she's very pretty in MI4, okay. but she she doesn't grab me the same way. Yeah. And some some of that, I think, is just the, the difference of five or six years. It's just a woman going from 29, 30 to 35. Yeah. And, like, it's what, I, it's what I've seen. Like, that's not a criticism. That's no, just reality. No, that's just reality. We're going through it right now. We're getting into our... We're almost in our 30s, and yeah. things are different. Like, Kilmer, people that are older than us, they, yeah. they're going to still talk shit that we don't know what we're talking about. We, we are. We're getting older. Yeah, we you feel start to it. get there. So with Kilmer, it's like... Yeah, it's even if you do stay in great shape, like you just you age. It's yeah. a thing that happens. So 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 by no means, no throwing no shade at Kilmer, but it was a pronounced thing that was happening. He let yeah. himself go a little bit. Yeah, he. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think everybody noticed. So this was definitely the, this was one of the first major films he was in. Uh, what year was Wonderland? Probably like oh four, maybe. Yeah, and Kiss Kiss was oh five. Yeah, so Wonderland, he's still in pretty good shape, I think. Um, and I remember seeing that, and that was. That was a fairly major release. Kate Bosworth was in it, and that was like mm-hmm. right in the time Kate Bosworth was yeah, kind no, of that somebody. Was, that was a big movie. I mean, big-ish. Yeah. A big, like, indie style. And, like, I think that... But I don't think he had done, like, a big hit action movie for a few years. Um, he's in the... One of the, the Oliver Stone epic, isn't he? Isn't he in Alexander? Isn't Tell part? Is he? Doesn't he? I've never seen I it. I wouldn't doubt it. I haven't either. Yeah. When that and King Arthur, I still have never seen either of the two of them. Well, you're doing good on King Arthur, but... Yeah, I've good. heard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff loves that movie. Really? <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> it's so epic, man. Uh, anyway, so talk about these these guys' careers a little bit. Uh, star profiles, you know, Denzel and Kilmer were at distinctly different places. They were literally on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, this is the this is the heart of like Denzel Phase Three, I think. Because mm-hmm. Phase One is is mid eighties Glory Malcolm X yep. winning an Oscar. Um, Phase two is is major action star in the 90s creeping into 
I'm gonna be I'm gonna win a Best Actor award eventually here, guys. Right. You know the, the Hurricane. And then phase three is the like fun. It's like it just seems like he's just picking things that are fun to him. This is it. This is like the heart of it because like the transition happens. He wins the Oscar for Training Day. Yep. He does, and for Training Day, he's very much kind of just the picture I chose. He's very much <laughs> playing like a caricature of himself. Yeah, um, that is one of the that is one of the weirdest roles that's that's won a, a Best Actor award and most criticized because I think a lot of people think it's. I, I, are you one of them? That is. I mean, it's great. It's just so clearly it's just like Denzel being Denzel. It's like he needs to get one finally. Like he's yeah. owed one almost. You yeah. Know? So let's just write this movie that's just like Denzel being Denzel. Right. But he's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Because it's directed by Antoine Fuqua and that movie sucks. I know how we all know how you feel about him. <laughs> uh, but I feel it, the same way. But anyway, he wins. He wins the Oscar in '01, and this is after like the Hurricanes '99. Remember, mm-hmm. the Titans is 2000. Training Day is 2001. I mean, he's at that point. He's like in that. He's in that range where it's like if Denzel Washington's in a movie, we're gonna notice. Yeah. And it's a few years later that he officially transitions into like paycheck, paycheck major actor because mm-hmm. like he wasn't making the big Oscar stuff the next few years. It's like you know, um, Man on Fire is 04. Manchurian Candidate, no, the, yeah. the remake's 04. Inside Man is 06. Mm-hmm. These are relevant movies. It's yeah, not the, they were still big, but. Not compared to the three we mentioned. Yeah, and Inside Man, that was also kind of like Clive Owen. You know, yeah. that was a, he yeah. was on his way up, and so it wasn't just a Denzel movie again. You know, there's American Gangster in 07, I think. Yeah, which, but you know, again, that's with... Uh, uh, Russell Crowe. With Crowe, right. And the movie falls a little flat. That movie's not great. No, it's it's, not good. it's good. It's like one of those movies that's kind of the same thing. You know, we're going to write this role, and Denzel's going to play it. I think Book of Eli's a few years later. That movie's bad. Yeah. It's real bad. That's he, like 09. Yeah, that's yeah. this thing. He gets into this phase of his career where it's kind of like he's a super big movie star, but he's like not super relevant anymore. Even Flight, which is actually a really good movie. Yeah, um, it's a really great performance. And it's 2012 <clears throat> is like that's not a movie that you're, you're going to see if you're a young person. No, I'm looking forward to Magnificent Seven. Are you really? I think it'll be sweet. <laughs> I think it could be pretty awesome. Can we do that movie on this show? Probably. Of course. It's this action western with just like a bunch of actors. Is it directed by somebody like who we think is totally a total hack? Oh, is it Fuqua? Is it Fuqua? It might be Fuqua. Is that Fuqua, Ratner, or like... Oh. Or someone like that. Yeah, Donica, you want, you want to find that out if you have a second? If you're not too busy? I think I think it's Antoine Fuqua. I th- I really feel like you're right. Yeah, I think I, it is. Um, it would make I'm sense. I'm almost ninety percent sure because uh, of Equalizer. Yeah. So Kilmer is he already hit his prime in the '90s? You know. Yeah. So so Kilmer's like late '80s. He gets he's like top secret, real genius, Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got he's like super handsome, skinny, pretty boy. All through the '90s, he makes The Doors. He makes Heat. Yep. Uh, makes Tombstone. Makes the Saint. The Saint. Ghost yeah. in the Darkness. Ghost in the Darkness. <laughs> Total like eight, like major A list yeah, star. He was on top of the world. He was fucking Batman. Yeah, nineteen ninety six. If you're ever Batman, that just says a thing about who you were at one point. Yeah, ninety five. So that's where he was at in the mid nineties. Somewhere in that late nineties run, uh, he his star starts to fall. He doesn't get the roles, sort of the better roles, and then there's this phase we talk about where he kind of goes, he kind of goes black mm-hmm. and. I remember he made a movie called Spartan at one point. Um, oh yeah, I never, I never saw it. I saw it in theaters. I remember because like really? I thought Kilmer was sweet. I and, did like, love Kilmer at our age when we were when we were teenagers. Like you want to see those actors making new things. You hope mm-hmm. they're awesome. And it wasn't. It wasn't no, a very good movie. No, it was not. It was a David Mamet movie. From what I hear. Mistaken. And then there's this face. And I definitely remember we were 18 when Deja Vu came out. Mm-hmm. So I didn't see any of these 06 movies. Nope. But I do remember watching him in. 
this and being like, what the hell happened to Val Kilmer? He got so fat. I know. Kiss Kiss. He's still a little fat. Because like, I, didn't, I didn't see Kiss Kiss when I was 18. Oh, by the didn't. time I was 18. No, I watched it in college. And I also, like, one of the reasons I pulled these three movies, because I've never heard of them. Yeah, me neither. I've never heard of Summer Love, uh, Moscow Zero, or Played, and they're all 2006. There's a sweet movie I've seen. I think it's called Convict? Uh-huh. No. What the hell is it called? Steven Dorff, and he goes to jail because a home invasion goes wrong. He kills the criminal, and he gets convicted of murder. And he goes uh, okay. to prison, and, and, like, the crazy guy who was a murderer who's in prison, who's, like, teaching him about enlightenment is Kilmer. It's Kilmer? Yeah. Oh, that's great. I think he has, like, a sweet beard, even. And, like... I love it. You should see this. You'd like it. And, like... <laughs> and he, like, trains him, and Kilmer's constantly getting in fights, and eventually, at the end of the movie, like, Kilmer's, like, you know, gets rowdy and riled up because he knows he wants the guards to kill him because he wants to die in prison. And, and he like, dies. I think so. I don't actually remember, to be honest. Huh. He might survive. Um... Well, good. You didn't spoil it. Now I can still watch it. I don't really remember what happens. I just remember, like, the guy at the video store that I used to hang out at was, like, really stoned. And was like, no one's going to see this movie, but I'm telling you, it's sweet. And <laughs> Kilmer, totally sweet. And those guys always know. <laughs> yeah, they totally do. And I totally took it home, and I was like, yeah, this is really sweet. It was a real good movie. What's the verdict, Daga? What year, well, really quick, what year was the the Kilmer? Oh, Magnificent. Which one are you talking about? The one that you were just talking about. Oh, uh, like... Uh, convict or instinct? No, it's not instinct. No, yeah. what year was it? Oh, uh, like probably like two thousand and uh, four, four, maybe two, three. Okay, never mind. I'll go back to that later. But it is in fact uh, Fuqua, Mr. Fuqua. Am I right? Well, I'm a little, little. Thank you very much. Can you blow the screen up there, right between like ninety nine and oh four for me? Is that a thing I can see? Let's see what do we got here. Uh, wait, oh, I think oh, Red really? Planet. No, it'd be it'd be higher. It'd be higher. Got here. Missing, Blind Horizon, Spartan, Stateside, Entourage, Alexander, Played. Really? Uh, while, while you do that, I'm going to explain this next little segment we're doing. We are, so you, you kind of alluded to this huh. earlier with Kilmer gaining his weight. We're going to do top five fat actor transitions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see the name of it. Weird. And uh, this, is, this is in no way a slight at these people. You know, yeah, we, we've gone through our phases. I would definitely gone through my fat phases. hundred percent. Remember when I came back from Hawaii? That was great. You had shaved your head. I, I you had shaved. turned orange. You gained a solid ten pounds. You looked like a big orange oompa loompa. It was excellent. <laughs> I remember sitting there and I was shaving my head, and I hadn't done it in like a month, and I don't yeah. know why. And I I realized after my first couple cuts, I was like, oh my god, it's one setting too low. Oh my god! And I started sweating like with, <laughs> with the shave, like shaving my hair. Oh god! And I walk, I walk into work. Uh, and just like what happened? Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, so that being said, we are going to do our top five favorite fat actor transitions. Counting down, or do you do you not have a particular order? Uh, I didn't rank them, but I think it should be fairly easy for me to do it here because I have my five. So uh, let's see. We'll go one here is fair. Two there. We'll go three there. We'll go four there, five there. All right. All right. Um, my number five is John Favreau. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. It's good, right? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I love John Favreau. I think John Favreau's hilarious. I think he's super talented. Yeah. I think he's like a, a good actor. Like, I just think it's hilarious that somewhere along the way, I didn't notice it happening until I think it was like four Christmases he shows up and he plays both brothers or something. It's like twins. And he's just enormous. <laughs> the two of them are enormous. He's just got huge somewhere along the way. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Right? And I love I love Favreau. Yeah, me too. What do you got? Uh, my number five is Busey. Felon. That's the name of the movie. 2008? I thought you were calling me that for calling Busey fat. I don't know how that worked. 2008. 
Um, felon. I've heard of that. Felon. You yeah. should watch it. <laughs> Gary Busey. Busey. Yeah, yeah. That's a great one. I should have used Busey. Okay, here's a piece of trivia. Do you remember in like 2001 the television show that MTV launched called I'm with Busey? Yeah. Yeah. That was when he was all crazy already. So last week yeah. I had like a pretty bad stomach flu uh, and I was driving somewhere waiting for somebody to get home and I was sitting in my car like I had like almost an hour to kill. And I was, like, having, like, fever dreams. And I was like, I got to do something to pass the time. What can I watch on my phone? And I was like, Busey popped into my mind for some reason. You watched the show. So I, on YouTube, I queued up I'm with Busey episode one. And I watched episode one of I'm with Busey. The premise was that this journalist kid was the biggest fan of Gary Busey. He had written him letters and was like, you're my hero. You're the ultimate oh actor God. of your generation. I want to learn from you and follow you around. And Busey was like, yes. Okay, I, kid. So the first episode, he shows up and... He's, like, standing there, like, lifting weights on his patio outside. And he's so crazy. And the kid's like, hey. And he's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm Jake. I'm the kid. And he's like, who are you? How did you get in? And he's like, I'm, uh, we talked on the, on the phone. You responded to me about the, the letter. And he's like, I didn't, when was that? When was and he's this? Like, my, and he's like, my name's Jake something something or whatever his name is. And he's like, and then he's like. Your name is Jake Joe. Your mother's name is this. You went to this high school. Your dream was to be this. Along the way, you did this thing. He's like, I remember. I remember now. I'm just messing with you. Come inside. And like, and the premise of the show is Busey just coming up with like absurd, like totally absurd theories on life and spitting to this kid and the kid learning them. He like puts an earpiece in the kid's ear on a date and like oh, talks God. him through a date at one oh, point. Oh, I've seen that. I've seen the clip of that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that you did this in a car. I just love Busey. Uh, I wish someone would have walked by and seen you. Yeah. Uh, what's your number four? And that was... Uh, oh, you went... Okay. Yeah. Uh, my number four is Mr. Steven Seagal. Oh, my <laughs> God. That's great. Well, it's fitting for our show. And, and uh, the trailer for the new movies that he's in is oh, just... Oh, yeah. Incre- like, he do- he knows he's fat. He gained a lot of he's weight. He's really uncomfortable moving yeah. around. <laughs> he, can, he can still do Aikido, though. He's, he could definitely bo- kick both of our asses still. Yeah. Oh, in, in a heartbeat. Yeah. He's, I mean, and he's still very intense. <laughs> he's terrifying. Was it a... Uh, who was like telling us the Seagal story? Like, was it Cavino and Rich, or was oh. it like did I tell the story because I heard it on Conan or something? I think it might have been Cavino and Rich. Someone told us the story. Seagal is like on SNL. He's like, okay, but I have to win. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, you keep. He's like, I don't lose. Uh, I went with Cruz in in a oh Tropic yeah, in Thunder. Tropic Thunder. Oh, that's clever. And I and I had to do it because and I know it's so iconic, but like, it was such a great moment in his career. And it, and for me, I yeah. was like, oh god damn it, god. All right, all right, I li- all right. Fine, Tom. You got fine. me, Cruz. You, you got me, Cruz. Like I think he got a lot of people back. I think did, he, that was a big move for him. It I was think really smart. It's weird, right? If you think about his whole career, and you think about, as we've thought and talked about at length, but if you really think about what happened after MI and like how he was able to transition from the giant failure and the like bombing of War of the Worlds and his public perception and all that mm-hmm. stuff, what turned him around in people's eyes? Because like whoever his manager is. Is a genius. Yeah, or somebody. Like, because there was that stretch that was really bad, and, like, now the last few years, it seems like things are kind of back on track again. Yeah. Um, not quite where they used to be, because he's in his 50s now, but, like, just in a different place. People but, are still on board with them, though. Yeah, you know? totally. And it was just something happened with... That, I, I really think that Tropic Thunder role is the most responsible thing he did. It is. And, and it's so funny that it comes in a movie where Tom Cruise wears a fat suit and a bald cap, and Robert Downey Jr. has blackface. Yeah. And it is one of the best moves that any of those people made in their career. Yeah. You know? That movie is genuinely hilarious. Like, it's not even... fucking hilarious. Yeah. That movie... is amazing. It's, like, way funnier now than it was when I saw it the first time. And I always think it's not as funny as it's going to be when I turn it on. Yeah, and then it kills you. Yeah. It's just so good. Um, All right, my number three... 
Uh, that was a user four. Yeah. Used cruise. Mm-hmm. My number three is. Uh, that was the best fish sandwich I've ever tasted. Give me another one, <laughs> Mr. Alec Baldwin. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I feel quite a hundred percent Charles. I don't feel hundred percent Charles. That's funny because he's my number two. Oh really? Baldwin is. Yeah. Oh, Baldwin is just it's glorious. So good. Yeah. I went with uh, Marlon Brando. Oh, okay. That's my number two. Oh, is it? Yeah. That's funny. We switched those. Yeah. I mean, Brando's. If we're really being it, honest, yeah, with he's the number one. Yeah, because Kilmer is both of our number ones, right? Yeah. yeah obviously, he he's so the list is, is based on him, <laughs> and we've talked about him already, so we don't have to go into it, but. Uh, if you're really being honest with the world, it's it's Marlon Brando, and it's not fucking close. Like no, it's not. You go from leading man, like beautiful Adonis, blah blah blah. Like yeah. that's how people look at you to being this fat, overweight godfather. You're also like beyond being like good looking. You go from being like Adonis, one of the most handsome guys in the world, who happens to be the the transcendent actor of his entire generation. He's yeah. like he's like of his generation. I guess he's like what Daniel Day would be, or yeah, like what DiCaprio like, you would be. You talk about Brando, Lawrence Olivier, Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, you know. there's like a few of them. There's yeah. like ten of them that are ever on that level, that are like quite quite that transcendent. I mean, he won, he, he won an Oscar, I think he won an Oscar back in the, the 50s or 60s. Um, but I know he was nominated for uh, On the Waterfront, Streetcar Named Desire, Viva Zapata, um was one other nomination I think plus then the Godfather I think he's nominated for uh Last Tango in Paris <laughs> like he just but he just got fatter and weirder and no one fatter and weirder you just like not show up to set you started, show up wasted started wearing moo's yeah yeah he's like th- like he's like one of the like all time uh why why apocalypse now is ridiculous stories yeah wasn't the score? Didn't people say something about him on set? Like he smelled so bad, or the he was score? just so drunk all the time, or something that Probably. was yeah, or like the island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> yeah, like, that one's real bad. He was like he showed up like thirty pounds overweight. <laughs> yeah, or um, or uh, what's the one I'm forgetting? Oh, Don Juan de Marco. Oh yeah, that's yeah, a real good movie. Oh wait, did Orson Welles get super fat at the end? Or am I just making that up? I'm just mixing him up with Marlon Brando. I'm not sure. Donica, do you know that? Nope. No. He does Sorry, not. We got audio audio issues. Um yeah, it was a little bit of both. Orson was already a little bit bigger, but then he got bigger. He got huge. <laughs> then he got, got bigger, bigger. Um so yes, both of our number ones, Val Kilmer, as we've Kilmer? discussed. Say what? Ah, he got bigger er. Yes, bigger er, exactly. Um so uh so let's cue that behind the scenes thing here. We're gonna we're gonna talk about a little bit of production development, writers, direct, directors, things that uh, went into this movie. Uh we've been getting a few comments that people liked when we used to uh, go a little bit further into that stuff. Yes. Um, so it, we will definitely point out a few things about this movie that, that are a little cooler and sort of things things that happen, how the movie got made. Um, and we have a little behind-the-scenes B-roll thing we're going to cue here while we talk about it. So the first and most relevant piece to me of production development is that they blew up a ferry, but they didn't actually explode the ferry. Yeah, they tried, kind of. Yeah, so it's they, they used, like, an absurd amount of explosives. The, the audience um, liked our fat, fat guy ranking, just by the way. So they did? Yeah, enjoyed <laughs> it, yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they, under the supervision of a pyrotechnic expert, John Frazier, the ferry was coated entirely with fire retardant rigged with 50 gasoline bombs, including black dirt and diesel, each one set that within a five-second range. The spectator explosion actually caused no significant structural damage to the ferry, after a bout of sandblasting and repainting, the ferry was very similar to its previous state and was returned to service four days after the production of the film concluded. That's amazing. Crazy. Watch. Here it is. Oh, it's going to count down. Um, that's maybe, this is maybe the single like most remarkable and surprising detail of the whole entire 
Well, I remember it happening, and I was like, damn, that looked really good. How on earth is that thing okay? It goes back to just ferrying... To just ferrying people? <laughs> it just goes back to ferrying around. <laughs> Four days later? That's totally nuts. Yeah, I remember see, or watching the movie last night and being like, that looked really real. Like, yeah. That looked good. It's legit. Yeah. I mean, this is what happens when you get it when you're a Jerry Bruckheimer movie. Like, That's right. Of slow motion. Got a lot of money there. How sweet. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, I mean, you can see it. Like, nothing structurally ever really moves at all. It just burns out real quick. And yeah, and it's just a smoke cloud. Yeah, that's crazy. That's pretty awesome. Um, so anyway, that's uh, that's that's pretty cool. The film was originally supposed to shoot uh, on Long, I- Long Island, but they changed it to Katrina. The pre-production was done in at Katrina to New Orleans. The pre-production <laughs> was done in New Orleans. They almost shut the film down. The film actually was canceled at one point, but then they returned to production in New Orleans uh, and finished the filming out there. Thank God. Thank God for that. <laughs> Thank God for you. Thank God for you, Charles. <laughs> Uh, so this is written by Bill Marsili and Terry Rossio. Yep. Which you see their names a lot more than you think you do. Um, yeah, it's funny. If you look, they're, they're a writing team, but um, I have to think that um, Bill Marsili like, does not like the arrangement because if you look at Bill Marsili's credits on IMDb, mm-hmm. he's not credited with like anything. Deja Vu is like, his only writing credit. Oh, really? He has like, he has, like seven writing credits. But like Terry Ross, they're a team, but like Rossio, as it says here, is the second most successful screenwriter of all time in terms of domestic box office receipts. Films have made two and a half billion dollars. Yeah, um, and uh, and um, Jeff Graham, who works here, told us that this script, the spec script, was still the most expensive script sold in the States, I believe, at $5 million. $5 million, yeah, on spec before the thing was uh, even written. Crazy. Which is nuts, yeah. They, and they had, been working on, they had been working on the film uh, since 1997. Uh, which is crazy when you really think about that. Like, we all watch these movies, and they become a piece of history for us to talk about on shows like this mm-hmm. or discuss with our friends, memories of seeing them in theaters. But at the end of the day, this is a pretty throwaway movie for us. Yeah, and they worked on it for almost a decade. Yeah. Like, that's what it takes. That's it, what it takes. That's what it takes, and that's why it's, it is interesting, because at the end of the day, you never really know yeah. um, whose fault it was that a movie isn't successful. But it does make sense that these two guys were unhappy with Tony Scott. I mean, yeah. This movie does fall flat. Um, critically and in the box office. And like you said, it's forgettable. Yeah, I mean, these guys are responsible for, when we talk about the, the, the movies they've written, Aladdin, the entire Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, Shrek, like big budget, big successful, huge movies and things, everything from Treasure Planet to like, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that I saw listed. But I mean, I mean, you think about those movies, though. They're great stories, really. Yeah. Like the first Aladdin, the first Pirates, the you know Shrek. They're great stories. So you know this guy or yeah. these guys can tell. They're good storytellers. Absolutely. So and that's why they get hired to do something like this. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, it's interesting, right? They they so Rossio and Marsili have acknowledged the film was not shot the way they wanted it to be. They blame Tony Squat. Tony Squat. Scott, <laughs> and uh, basically said that uh, they were quite critical of the mistakes that he made, and um, basically basically said that they felt they wrote an airtight script, plotting-wise, uh, but that Tony Scott focused too heavily on the action scenes and missed the point, and the film in the end was full of plot holes. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I don't know where the blame falls necessarily. Uh, it's hard to know. Look... You, your guys' movies have made a lot of money, and you're great storytellers. At the same time... Can you really explain time travel that well? And also, at the same time, when you talk about Aladdin, you talk about Shrek, you talk about the Pirates movies, the first Pirates movie, anyway. Yeah. 
they're all simple stories. Yes. They're all incredibly simple stories. Very linear. Yeah. This is not like this. So as good as you think your script might have been, like, I don't look at your filmography and go, you're the guys, you're the guys that I want writing the movie that's going to be the big budget, like, Inception style classic. Right. This is, you know, blame Tony Scott if you want or not, but I guarantee the things about this movie I like have nothing to do with the subject matter and everything to do with what Tony Scott and Denzel Washington bring to this movie. Absolutely. When they start to bring in the the machine, the first time they brought it in, I was like, oh yeah, the machine, this is the thing with the time. Like this doesn't need to happen. Like it does need to to, to tell the story, but at the same time, like this doesn't need to happen. This is the movie is already so good without this. So a couple interesting things. Um, There's, there's two points that I noticed in the film when I, when I, I wrote things down. So, um, let's see here. So number one, 35 minutes into the film is when you get introduced to like, there's some like weird sort of like time travel-y, mm. not, not everything adds up all the way kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And an hour 26 is when they send Denzel back in time. Wow. So, you, so you're a whole movie in. You're in, you're almost 90 minutes into the film by the time he actually goes back in time. Yeah. Um, but 35 minutes is when things start to get kind of weird. The Wait, first you're th- 90 minutes in there. So you add the 40 minutes with the technician that puts you at exactly two hours. So so there's only 10 more minutes of things that could be trimmed. Like that's, that's the problem that we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that the technicians up till the point, there's still, there's a lot of technician talk leading Mm -hmm. up to him going back. Right. But yeah, adding them together for sure. So, um, I just think that like for these guys to be so critical of Scott is, is a little silly Mm -hmm. when like, again, like if they, if they had like, a matrix under their belt. Maybe I'd feel differently, but they just don't No, Those movies you're talking same. about are, are they're successful, but they're not successful. Like, you know, Christopher Nolan's films. I was just going to say, yeah, or, it's tough to do things, but I mean, to, to take on things like that, things that are bending dimensions and all that. But Christopher Nolan and the Wachowski siblings have done it well. Yeah. And they've also, I mean, well, the Wachowskis have failed at it, but then with Interstellar, it's the same thing. A lot of people had complaints at the end of that. It's not easy to do to no. explain time travel and bending dimensions and blah 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 blah. Um, let's move on to Tony Scott since we've been talking about him. We are we, we've been talking a lot. Yeah, well, that's an exciting subject. It is it very it very mu- very much so. Uh, Tony Scott. So you know we talk about him all the time. He's a legendary or, yeah. um, younger brother of legendary Ridley Scott. Yep, and um, he's you know Top Gun. Um, Beverly Hills Cop two, all of these, all Denzel, of these Denzel movies, Crimson Tide. Yeah, I mean he's true romance. He's he's got a very decorated filmography. He's never been respected in in the industry in the same way that a Ridley Scott was was respected. He's yeah. always kind of like a takes himself a bit more seriously, less popcorny Michael Bay for I think a lot of people. But the thing about Tony Scott that I've always loved is that he was never a gun for hire like. He or he he was early on definitely right. like Beverly Hills Cop. You have to be, but as he got in the later stage of his career, he was he was like an auteur. He was an artist. He viewed his movies as his product, what he wanted to make, and he wasn't going to be the guy that directed you know Spy Kids three. It right, wasn't, that wasn't he did be. what he wanted to do. Yeah, and and I like that about Tony Scott. Um, as we've covered before, tragically commits suicide on April on August nineteenth, twenty twelve, by jumping off a bridge. Um, in the end, citing crit- crippling depression as the motivation. Yes, um, tragic. He's totally missed and i never knew how much i appreciated tony scott me neither until the show really um really that's we we've talked about it a lot but we there was a quality in the, in watching these movies when we wanted to do the show that we really looked for and it's it's exemplified in in his in his denzel movies more than i think 
any movies we do. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a shame that I did not like Tony Scott more before so that I could have seen all these movies in theaters and had a different love for them. Yeah. You know, a different excitement. Totally. Uh, We'll move on to Bruckheimer. We'll just, I mean, he's, he's the greatest action movie producer of all time basically pretty much yeah there's we, we i feel like the last like 10 weeks like eight of them we've covered That's like true like silver or bruckheimer almost every single time but yeah like, yeah don simpson jerry bruckheimer they were a team they were very successful they did a ton of huge movies the pirates franchise the rock armageddon the bad boys franchise Sherlock Holmes. yeah no that's i think that's joel silver oh that's silver yeah yeah, yeah yeah um but there's a few guys that are on this level only a few bruckheimer continues to be very successful and he continues to work now it looks like top gun 2 is in production so it is yeah we'll see about that so that's a thing but uh yeah uh let's move on to critical and box office so we can get to our final games here a little bit right uh this is the studio is buena vista it cost 75 million dollars to make which is that's not too bad not crazy it opened november 22nd of 2006 i remember seeing it at christmas time with my family mm-hmm. uh domestically it made 64 million dollars which is not very good and worldwide it made an additional 116 million for a total of 180 million dollars total gross which is a bummer um but there's a reason behind that it it opened against two really tough movies really really tough movies um and it's also around christmas time so you got to remember happy feet 37 million dollars opening weekend and casino royale at 30 million dollars which was the first new bond movie right so you're opening against one of those animated family movies that is always going to crush basically any movie that comes out yeah um and then a brand new James Bond reboot. So it opened at $20.5 million at number three behind those two. Critically is where it kind of gets to a bummer. It's interesting, though, because the IMDb score is so vastly different from the critic scores on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. It's much closer to the audience score. So IMDb gave it a 7.0, which is it's actually pretty respectable. Yeah, it's it, fine. It's hard to get a 7, especially for a movie like this. You'd like this movie to have a little more like a 7.6. Absolutely. Like that's, I think, I, I think if I was ranking this, I wouldn't go quite that high, but I'd probably give it a little more like a 7.3. Four, four, yeah, 3. Yeah, mm-hmm. like uh, right in there. <laughs> 73%. I mean, that's pretty much reflects exactly how I feel. Yeah, I, I agree. So all critics on Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 55. Top critics gave it a 54. And the audience gave it a 73. So it does follow our little pattern that we have. But it, that's a bummer. I think about movies that... Like, I think about some movies that come out with actors who I really like. That mm-hmm. there was a lot of money spent on and maybe had a vision that fail. And I think about even from the same time period, out of time, out of time is not a good movie. It's hard to watch. It's not very fun to watch. It's not engaging. It doesn't, it's not the same thing as this. I think about Antoine Fisher and John Q, right? Yeah. Antoine. Yeah. John Q is a little closer and it's driven just because Denzel's so good. Mm -hmm. You think about some of Clooney's movies that he made that are kind of in the, in the same vein where it's like, this movie should be good. This should be fun to watch. And it's just like, sometimes they fall flat. This movie is better than, than, you know, 55 and 54%. Those yes. are those are below average. That is incredibly low. Yeah, I mean it, Denzel alone, his performance, and Paula. Pa- I mean, that's the other thing. That was another thing I was going to have as my thesis is, despite great performances from all the leads and supporting yeah. characters, I mean, Paul Patton's great, Caviezel's great. Uh, obviously, Denzel is awesome, and Kilmer is great. Yeah, and so are all the lab techs, Foggy from Daredevil, and yeah, you know, uh, you know what's his name, Goldberg's name, yeah, Goldberg. yeah, Adam, Adam Goldberg. Yeah, and Eric. is uh, Bruce Greenwood? Is he the name of the? Is that the? Is he the cop who's like... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking your about. Your father saved in Star yeah. Trek? That yeah, guy? yeah. <laughs> I love that. I, I love that trailer. Who I interviewed and like, gave that line to last year. Um, <laughs> Don't anyway. sit in front of me, son. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Jack Matthews um, from the New York Daily News gave this an, uh, a rotten review. Ed Wood, notorious as 
the worst film director in history could have made the $80 million Jerry Bruckheimer time travel time travel thriller Deja Vu for about $99.95, and it would have been just as believable. Whereas James Bernardelli, Birardinelli, um, from Real Views You're in welcome. 2006, <laughs> said Deja Vu impresses with both the complexity of its storyline and its willingness to allow things to develop at their own pace without interjecting a lot of needless action scenes into the early proceedings to keep viewers attentive. If I was writing a review of this movie, I would be like, Driven by the incredible lighting, beautiful cinematography, and compelling performances, this movie is severely entertaining mm-hmm. while maybe lacking some scientific credibility. Definitely having some plot holes. And being a little bit formulaic at times. Yeah. Aside from that, it's interesting and one of the more compelling movies of the year. Like, how are you going to c- compare Ed Wood to Tony Scott? It's absurd. And then say that he could make a movie for 100 Like, I get what you're, the point you're trying to convey, but it, it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, agreed. Uh, um, let's get in favorite line. Yeah, well, I already said mine earlier. Oh, you so that your favorite that line really was, was my favorite and line. And fist pump. It was both. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, because I had a couple fist pumps. I do have another favorite line. Um, I have my favorite line. I wonder if it's. I really go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. Thing. Um, I love when Denzel meets uh, Claire's dad, and he same line. Go ahead. The same line, and he says. And he gives him the stuff at the end. He says, when you get a chance, look through the stuff. And he's like, it's really not necessary. And he's like, I know how these things go. Uh, I know how these things go, Agent uh, Carlin. Carlin, I need her to matter to you. Otherwise, she's just a name on a wall. Yep. Is it your line, too? Yep. It's a great line. It's written right here. Literally written right there. It's funny. It's a great line. It's one of of those hallmarks. I was thinking this morning when we were talking about the Pelham episode, because that... Of the five, that's the worst movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the worst movie. Unstoppable actually might be worse. It could be. I, we, when we get to Unstoppable, we'll rank all five. Hey, if it's below Pelham, you'll be pretty happy. <laughs> uh, but there's a couple lines in the Pelham script that I just remember feeling like are were really smart. Like, mm-hmm. really smart writing. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, like the married thing. There's a that's marriage. what you call marriage. Yeah, exactly. There's some great interaction between those two. And it, despite, that's what we love about him. That's the same kind of moment where it's like, it's in the script and it doesn't really match the tone of the movie sometimes. Yeah. But like it just works for me. That's just why I love He's it. He's like the greatest action hero without having to be an act like doing any action. It's yeah. all about his dialogue in between the action. Yeah. Uh the other one that I really loved <clears throat> was at the end when he said, For my whole career I've caught people after they do something horrible. For once in my life I'd like to catch someone before they do. Yeah. I really like that as well. But yeah, the, that one with his dad was just a great moment. Yeah. There's also there's also a really weird. There's two weird lines. One of them is where, um, <laughs> where's where's Agent Minuti? He's on vacation. Uh, not anymore. He says, "I did you call him? I, I did. Try harder. Yeah. It's, imp- it's important. Obviously, try um, harder. Yeah, I like that line. I also and this is this is a really weird one, but it's when Bruce Greenwood's talking to Kilmer right after he meets Denzel and he walks away and he's like, "You like him?" And he's like, "Yeah, I like him. He's smart." He's like, "Yeah, I like him too." Yeah. Um, it's like, it's one of those weird things where, like, the delivery is just, it, I don't know, there's something about it, it's very quick or something. Yeah, it, just, it seems out of place and awkward, but there's something about it where you're like, me too. <laughs> yeah, but it's also like, it's kind of like, that's a little bit how real people talk sometimes. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it, it totally is. Not like, yeah, I think you might be right. I think he, I think, uh, I think he's good. But like, yeah, it's no, like, it's just like, yeah. Yeah, like, me too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like, you already knew you, you wanted to make sure the other guy said it or something. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I thought that line was cool. That's cool. I um, like that. Uh, hero and villain ranking we're going to skip this week because they don't really rank. I mean, Denzel may rank for me at some point of thinking back on it. 
I tried, but, yeah, for me within this one, I tried to just be like, okay, like crazy ranks because he's like a badass. Mm-hmm. This character, like Carlin, like I like him, but he's just like, it's like Garber. I like Garber too. Yeah. But I'm not going to rank either one. Garber. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, uh, but the movie rankings is interesting and it's funny because you sent me a text with your ranking and you said my love for this movie is irrational. Is irrational. And it is, it's 20 spaces higher than mine. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah 20 it, movies. I just, I, I'm telling you, there's, there's, you have it in front of the town and tombstone, Ben tombstone. There's some part of watching this movie that I found so satisfying. Face off the Patriot rogue nation air force one. It's it <laughs> wow. speed. Yeah. I just, when I, I don't know when I was watching it this time, I was just like, I, I realized that this is not a classic that I can communicate that point of view to people and convince them that this is a better movie than those movies. Right. But if I look at every one of the movies right there in order and I say, do I want to watch Deja Vu, Tombstone, The Town, Speed, Face Off, Patriot, Rogue Nation, or Air Force One? That's exactly what I did with mine. In a week. Um, I probably, the only one on there that I would say maybe like jumps out at me that I would like for sure want to watch as much. Tombstone. Is Rogue Nation. Oh, really? Because I have only seen it once. But like, you've only seen Rogue Nation? Oh, yeah. I've watched it a few times since we'd said that last. It's awesome. It's still great. Yeah. Yeah. But I just love this movie. So. Yeah, uh, and I put it at 42. It's not that I don't love this movie. We've done 60 episodes on the show. There's a lot yeah. of really great movies. I still have it in front of Lethal Weapon, which I know that one day <laughs> some like middle-aged guy that is a yeah. huge action movie fan is just going to kill us for our yeah not, not liking Rambos and Lethal Weapons. Yeah. And anyway, um, it's, funny seven, we, it's, funny, it's funny that we started this show with the idea in mind that we were going to cover like that brand of movie. Those were the movies. And like... A lot of those movies have just like kind of fallen by the wayside for us. They really us. have. It's sad. <clears throat> yeah, it's a bummer. Um, so next, we're gonna do we're gonna do something a little new this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, or I, do you want to breeze through it? You want to skip it? Let's just do like a we'll do a speed round version. Just a one off. This, so this is a new segment, guys. It's it's not entirely a new segment. It's something that we it's related to what we do. We've gotten a little tired of recast, and this is one of those movies because it's not iconic. Um, going back 10 or 15 years on this just doesn't seem like it makes as much sense. It's also in that weird zone where it's 06, 07, so... So you can't cast with people now. Jumping forward or jumping backward, you're still a little too close or a little too far. Mm-hmm. So what we decided was, because we love Tony Scott, how would this movie look had it been made, because it was an expensive spec script, obviously, by P.T. Anderson, <laughs> Michael Bay, or Ridley Scott? It's essentially recast your director. Um, if we had a bit more time, we would go at length about it. We'll spend, you know, minute, minute and a half per director, kind of right. just like throw in some details. What are some differences that we think we would see? So let's start with Michael Bay, the obvious one. Okay. Um, there would be a lot less of the intricate camera effects and, and lighting in the in the actual visuals. It would yeah. all be outside on Denzel in the room, like zooming around yeah. him, like looking and like zooming in on Foggy's hands, moving the machine more. There would be less like slow moments of, of like him falling in love with Paula Patton yeah. and like the and the pretty music and it wouldn't be as stylized in that way. The lines like the lines like I hope you have plenty of KY yeah, or um, <laughs> or like there was there's one other like line that's kind of like that. They'll be hit so much harder, and there'd be so many more of them. Yeah, um, that's what you, that's the major difference between Tony Scott and, and, and Michael Bay because of the oh and the car chase scene would have been twice as long. Yeah, and and w- more stuff would have blown up. Yeah, um, you know the the like Jim Caviezel character would not have been as interesting or i think calculated of a villain he would have been more of a caricature of a villain yeah there, trying to be evil there, there would have been at least one uh totally racist black stereotype character in this movie there, there would have, be one sex scene between denzel and paula Patton. definitely probably. would have been a sex scene yeah 100 <laughs> percent um 
I think uh, that, that's, that's good. I think that covers the bases. <laughs> Those are the major differences, I think. And Would it be I, a better or worse movie? Oh, way worse. Way worse. Okay. Yeah. I don't think you can... I don't think... You, Michael Bay is going to make the script any better. I think he's going to skip over the same things. He's just going to hit a lot of the dumb stuff harder and add characters that don't need to be in there. It might be shorter if it was Michael Bay. That's true. Yeah. Uh, let's go. Let's go to the first one next, which is uh, our our great director, Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay. Here's the. This is this is what happens if you make a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. William H Macy would have been Val Kilmer. <laughs> yeah. the The idea of him making this movie is very strange because you. The weird science fiction elements being rooted in reality go away. It becomes yeah. a very science fiction-y movie if he's going to make it. It's uh-huh. going to be super character-y and weird and the long shots and things like that. I think he would do a great job with the relationship between Denzel and Paula Patton and that's falling in love stuff. Denzel probably would have died at the end. Yeah, he would have died. He wouldn't yeah. have come back there. Actually, that, that's probably true for the other person we have as well, that yeah. Denzel would have stayed dead. Yeah, and I wonder if that's one of the reasons that, that the audience and critics didn't like this movie is Maybe. that it comes back at the end there. I kind of liked it. Me too. Yeah. yeah. That's so Tony Scott. It's the same thing as Cruz showing up at the end of Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder we like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it'd be like a, it'd be an ensemble cast. It would focus much more evenly on the main like three or four or five characters instead of just on Denzel. You'd have a storyline <clears throat> between technicians. Like you'd yeah. have like, like very defined relationships between those technicians. They would have a lot more screen time and they would like actually have scenes that like mattered with each other. Yeah. Without Denzel. There'd be more like interpersonal relationship tension in the in the command center room. Yeah. You know? Um probably like Val Kilmer or like uh, Bruce Greenwood or one of those characters probably Val Kilmer would be like a drug addict mm-hmm. and they have, would have to be hiding something weird and God rest his soul Paul Thomas Anderson would probably actually just play Val Kilmer now oh you mean uh, Philip C yeah Philip C yeah yeah he yeah. probably would and uh, the music would be better yeah. yeah it would be songs as opposed to a score yeah though I love the music in I movie. do really yeah. love the music um, our Last... third one is Ridley Scott his, his older brother. brother yeah uh, it, it would have been the same length oh, I think longer <laughs> Longer, yeah. Han, I think, I think Hans it, Zimmer would have done the music. I think it would have been like two hours, 35 minutes. Okay. Um, yeah, Hans Zimmer would have done the music. Um, they would have spent a long time developing who Doug Carlin was before all of this started. Yes. Um, he would have had a lot more scenes like about his personal life. Why he's alone. Yeah, you probably would have gotten you probably would have gotten longer scenes with him and Minuti. Um, we didn't even talk about Minuti, actually. It's just a great name. Yeah, it's a good sequence. I like all the Minuti stuff. Yeah. Um, I think if, you, if you're doing Ridley Scott, I think... There's probably a couple extra long scenes that like fall really flat. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, those those are like some hallmarks of Ridley Scott. Uh, maybe like, yeah, like um, there's probably one more character that doesn't need to be in the movie. I'm guessing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. For sure, it'd be like um, like Paula Patton's brother or something. I I don't know who, yeah. who would it be. Or Caviezel's sidekick, maybe, or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or yeah, so, yeah. I think that's a good. That's a good one. Caviezel. I mean, Caviezel might have just been in the movie a lot more. You yeah. Might've, you might have just had Caviezel. Might have just been like a character that we followed around. And, that like, could have so been cool. To, I think that could have actually helped the film a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, but I do think that Tony Scott was the best director for this movie out of those three. Yeah, of these three directors, um, I think four, that. I guess. Yeah, I think he does the best with with the script. So. Um, there are three action movie categories, guys. Those categories are totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, and ridiculously legitimate. Uh, they are what they sound like. Totally legitimate movies are going to be like Terminator 2 and The Fugitive. Totally ridiculous movies are movies that fall apart like Con Air and Face Off that are hilariously bad but awesome. And then movies that are ridiculously legitimate or legitimately ridiculous, we call it sometimes, are movies that are grounded with some kind of compelling performance. You're very engaged the whole time. 
they hold together, but you laugh unintentionally at times. Yeah. Um, this is between two categories for me, but I'm going to go totally legitimate. Weird, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like it's not totally legitimate like some movies are totally legitimate, but it's enough that I feel comfortable saying it. I would agree. And I almost wanted to put it in the middle category, but I don't think that it... The middle category, even though it's the middle, it is the pinnacle. And there's something that is truly amazing to be in that category as an action movie. And this movie doesn't quite have it. And I don't know what it is. And maybe it's, you know, I don't know what it is, but that's why it is completely legitimate. And that's not a bad thing. It's great, Um, which is funny because it it makes no sense. But yeah. Like Uh, taking a Pelham gets the middle category. Yeah. Right, right. Because there's some moments you're just like, aha, yeah. (laughs) You know, like that doesn't happen quite as much in this. Yeah, this movie doesn't have those moments. Yeah. There's more moments of like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Go Denzel. Yeah, go Denzel. Is taking a Pelham the best of all five in the end? (laughs) (laughs) I guarantee you could could talk yourself into that. Uh, Guys, last but not least, we have this one thing we like to call it the pitch. And uh, there's not much of a pitch this week because Independence Day Resurgence comes out this weekend. We're going to go see it. We're going to break it down for you next week on the show. Um, We have a brand new movie we're doing. Independence Day Resurgence. Bill Pullman. Sweet. He'll probably have another awesome speech. Our Independence Day. It won't be as good as the original one because how could it? No, there's no speech that's as good as that. Yeah, but uh, that's going to wrap it up, guys. Thank you so much for watching the show today. We love you. Leave your comments. Leave your comments below (laughs) in the YouTube box. Uh, Of course, like, subscribe, uh, rate on iTunes, and follow us on Twitter. The podcast itself is on Twitter. One more time, at AMA Podcast. Let us know your thoughts. You can follow me personally, at Ben Bateman Media. And you can follow me, at Andrew Guy on Twitter. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.